0: Well, good morning, and um, happy Easter to everybody today, and just so thankful for you guys. Um, uh, if you're new this morning, we don't always dress up like this. Um, it may be a trend. Uh, when I was little, this is the way this is the way you did it every Sunday, so we might need to do that, get a little casual around here, but we'll talk about that later, so... Uh, but I am wearing a suit I normally do weddings in. But today's not a wedding, today's Easter. So we get to celebrate Jesus. I'm wearing the purple tie. I don't think I've ever worn a purple or pink tie in my life, but I'm wearing it today. But it's not for you, it's for Jesus. So the royalty of Jesus. So there we go. All right, well, hey, this morning, um, we're um, uh, gonna talk about the resurrection. But before we do that, uh, I just want to kind of bring us into this story. We've been talking about for a few weeks about how the disciples maybe would have seen everything, maybe would have witnessed everything unfolding during Holy Week, during this Passover week that we read about from, from, from Palm Sunday throughout the week and, and Jesus' teaching and everything that happened and the events of Friday night. If you were here for a good Friday service, we, we, we kind of unpack that, that story a little bit. But we, we've tried to look at this and say, What would it have been like to be a disciple to see these things and to put ourselves in their shoes? Just like in anything, when you can put yourself in someone else's shoes, you have a deeper understanding, right? A deeper appreciation for what it is they're experiencing, what it is they're going through. And why does that matter? Because it allows your compassion to increase, right? It allows your empathy to increase. It actually allows your love to increase. And if you think that's not a good idea, then just think about how God sent his one and only son to earth to live amongst us, to have compassion for us, to understand what it's like to be human on earth. Jesus is the forerunner and model for putting yourself in someone else's shoes. He did it. And he went the hard way, not the easy route. He went the hard route, and so he went to the lowest of the low, and he, and he lived his life in such a way to where nobody in human history could say, Jesus doesn't get me. That's what's so great about him. He actually came, and he came in such a way and interacted with all sorts of people in his day, and where anyone could say, oh, Jesus gets me. Jesus gets me. And I love that because God chose, he could have chosen another way, y'all, but he didn't. He chose this way. In the wisdom of God, he chose to go about our salvation and freedom and eternal life and, and redemption story, getting back with God, knowing him, and being free from all this stuff. This is the route he chose. But I just want to take us back through a super brief history on what it would have been like for disciples, the kind of understanding and knowledge they would have been carrying in the history of them as a people going in to this Resurrection Sunday. The events that took place in Jerusalem 1,989 years ago were a culmination of events since humanity was created and God breathed life into Adam and Eve. Humanity grew in number and also grew in wickedness to the point that God declared a cleansing and washing in the earth so that humanity could start again. God preserved Noah and his family. And from eight people, the world was repopulated. And for nearly 2,350 years, God patiently waited. Watching people live and die. Live in peace and make war. Worship him and worship idols. He even chose a people to covenant himself with. The descendants of Abraham through his son Isaac. The 12 sons turned into the 12 tribes of Israel, and God gave them commands and instructions on how to live and function in a way that honors God, how to treat one another, how to worship and honor the one true God, Yahweh. The tribes split up into the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah, and they were at odds and experienced war and peace through the years. Israel and Judah actually had 20 kings each sit on the throne, most of them wicked in their leadership, in their personal lives. Therefore, God sent prophets to warn them, to bring about the truth, to try to get them to repent and to change. But more often than not, the kings and the people didn't listen, and the consequences were usually death and destruction. As the reign of kings came to an end, In Israel and Judah, the Babylonians came in in 597 BC and took the Israelites to Babylon in exile. For 60 years, they lived there under Babylonian rule. Then the Persian Empire took over and allowed for the Jews to return to their homeland, to the miraculous story of Esther. And then they rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem, the walls there underneath the leadership of Nehemiah. Well, years later, Alexander the Great conquered the land of Israel in 333 BC. And the transformation from Persian culture to Greek culture began. A hundred years after that, the Romans came to town and their influence emerged and began in 230 BC. And that continued for 600 years. Can you see the story of the people of God from being in their land, the promised land, to then the Babylonians. You had the Egyptians before that. You had the Greeks. You had the Romans. They continuously were trying to live in a way to honor God, but also being defiant, disobedient, adopting foreign gods and ways of doing um, uh, everything. And throughout all of it, God stuck with them in his mercy. And the people kept looking year after year, for a human king to make it right. They went through 20 of them. And if you actually just do a brief study on the kings of Judah and Israel, it is uber discouraging. It might be the most discouraging study of any reign ever in human history of any culture. They were as wicked as it gets. There might have been one or two good guys, so to speak, They were halfway decent. The rest of them, you don't want them anywhere near your children. And yet, this is the people God covenanted himself with. And if you remember, when God spoke to his people and spoke to Moses in the Ten Commandments and started giving them instructions in the early days, the people said, God said, hey, I am your king. I am your leader. Just follow me. And the people said, what eventually? Hey, no, no, man. We want a king like the other guys. That foreign nation over there, they've got a king. We want one too. And you knew it was all downhill when it started with Saul. It just didn't go well with Saul. And yet, that's what they clamored for. So then that reign ended. And all this Greek and Babylonian and Roman culture comes in. They're finally back in their land. But you can think that for generations, the disciples knew these stories. They knew this painful history. They had been living with it. Grandparents telling the stories of exile and slavery and captivity and war and the Assyrians coming and this and that and just this tumultuous history where really what they wanted was to know God and to live in peace. And it just wasn't going to happen the way they were functioning. So then Jesus comes on the scene, and yet they're still looking for that earthly king, right? They're still looking for that human king that fits the bill, that maybe looks like Saul, but has a heart like David, and yet vanquishes their enemies forever, and they've got this peaceful place in the promised land, but they kept looking for the wrong kind of king. So Jesus comes, he calls out a few fishermen and a tax collector and a few other uh, interesting characters and says, hey, come and follow me. And I always love how Jesus started his ministry by calling out these young men. They were young. They were not very educated. They were not top of their class. They probably weren't the best looking. They were probably subpar athletes. And that's his crew. It is totally opposite of what we will do. When you're hiring people for a company, you're not hiring the people that like did the worst or can't pass those tests. I mean, you're usually saying, hey, I want the best and the brightest, so to speak, or the most skilled in this area. And if he was starting Bubba Gump Shrimp, it would have been great to get some of these guys. These are expert fishermen, but that's not what they were doing. But I love how Jesus said, we're not gonna be fishing for fish anymore. We're fishing for men and I'm sure they're like, how do you do that, you know? But I love how Jesus came to this earth, how he started his ministry, and now we're about to come in to how he brings everything into its fullness. So these disciples had been with Jesus for 3 plus 3 plus years and they couldn't quite see what was happening. Jesus knew his mission, but he was slow to reveal these pieces to them. And they didn't really know how it'd end. They just knew this guy started working miracles. He was kind. He never said anything bad about anyone. It wasn't sarcastic. He wasn't mocking. He wasn't slanderous. He wasn't lying. He didn't steal bread. He just was perfect. And they're thinking, this guy is awesome, but I just don't know where this is going. But we're in. We're going to follow you because every time you walk on water, do something, it just convinces us again, this guy is different. But they didn't really fully know who he was. So let's fast forward to Friday morning. The day of the crucifixion. The crowds gathered and the opportunity came to release Jesus or to release Barabbas. And in Matthew 27, verse 20, it says, Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of these two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. If you're with us Friday night, we talked about the innocence of Christ. And as you go through the story in Luke chapter 22 and 23, what you will see is that time and time and time again, Jesus is found innocent. The scribes, the Pharisees, the chief priests, when they dragged him in in the middle of the night for this Crazy trial happening underneath the cloak of darkness. They couldn't find any dirt on Jesus. He came out clean. They just got angry. So then they took him to Pilate. And Pilate three times is questioning him. And he's like, I don't know. This guy seems clean to me. I don't want anything to do with him. So then he actually, before that, he sends him off to Herod, who's kind of a crazy nut kind of guy. If you read about Herod, just very, uh, need, needed Jesus, really. That's what he needed. He needed Jesus. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't get it. But just crazy. And, and Herod, he's weird, and he's questioning Jesus. He's like, I didn't find anything wrong with him. You know, and then he sends him back. And then, so, the, so these, all these Pharisees and scribes are like, wait, what? I mean, come on, Pilate, you're the Roman guy. Herod, you're the crazy guy. This is, this is what he's doing? And they can't find anything guilty on Jesus. So much so, then he is beaten, he is mocked, he is whipped. He carries his cross up to Golgotha. He is crucified, and even the criminals on his right and his left who deserve their punishment and death, one of them says, this guy is innocent. So you have every person along the way saying he's innocent, innocent, innocent. And we talked about on Friday night how that is so vital to the gospel. If Jesus was not perfect and innocent and guiltless, he would not have been a proper sacrifice. He could not have been. He had to be perfect. Which means it wasn't just about the final days. It was about his 33 years of life. He had to be perfect. No white lies. (laughs) Perfect. Completely innocent. That is why he was a sacrificial lamb. That is why he was a lamb that was worthy to be slain. He was the only one. Because if he would have had some sin, he couldn't have taken our sin. Because he was being crucified for his own sin. But because he was clean... He could take on the sins of everybody. That is why it's so vital that Jesus Christ was found innocent. So from Palm Sunday to Crucifixion Friday, the tide had turned a little bit. And you can imagine for the disciples, they had witnessed all these miracles and healings. And they're wondering, why is he not just blasting these guys? You know, like we watch these Marvel movies or whatever. And it's just, and it's like, Jesus, come on. It's a couple of, you know, mid-level soldiers. You can deal with these guys. I mean, Samson bulked up. What's the problem? You know, they're thinking, you're the king. This is not how it's supposed to go down. And Jesus says, You'll see. This is the way. And I just want to remind us that when Jesus leads us down a path that seems very strange and other than, we need to follow him. It's not logical all the time. And it doesn't always make sense. And a lot of the people may say, that's really silly. But Jesus is saying, this is the way. Walk in it. But Jesus didn't die just for a cause. He wasn't forced to the cross. He died and was buried because he meant to be. I like how someone said his his life was not taken. His life was laid down. He laid down his life. He wasn't forced so Jesus is buried in the tomb. Joseph Erethamea, a wealthy man, had his own tomb. They bury Jesus in there. And you know, this is that Saturday which was yesterday. When we think about the Easter weekend, we don't have a whole lot written about it. Um, so we're left to ponder and to think, man, it's Saturday. It's waiting. Friday they experienced death. Saturday they're just waiting. And They're not really sure what to think. They're not really sure, and I kind of wonder, what were all the disciples doing? What were not just those 12, but the 72? What about the others who had seen the miracles? And some people stayed around Jerusalem thinking something's going to still happen, and some are like, it's over, and they started heading back to their homes. I don't know, but all they know is that waiting's hard. I said to a kid the other day, I think someone on my baseball team or something, said, hey, patience is a virtue. Patience is acquired. You're not born with it. Being patient is tough, y'all. Waiting is difficult. And for us, I think, just like the disciples, waiting for the breakthrough is hard. And when we think about this Sunday, Easter Sunday, man, we think about the resurrection of Jesus and his power and life, and we can get excited about that. But then what about next week? Someone's sick. Oh, let's pray for them. Let's lay hands on them. Let's let's whatever we can do to help them, but they're still sick. What about man? I I have a financial need, man. I'm in debt. This thing happened and I don't know what to do. God, I need help. And what if the help doesn't come in the time or the way, the form you want it to? What if, Lord, I man, I I want to be pregnant. I want our family to start want to start a family, but it's not happening. God, I want to be married. I'm not, Lord, I, I have a desire for this. Or God, I, I, I need a breakthrough in my own heart because I'm, I'm struggling with stuff or mentally things are frustrating. I don't know what to do. I don't have the peace. God, where's the peace? Yeah. We just want to push the button. Yeah. God, now would be great. Okay, not now. Okay, how about now? No, no, now, now. Like, really, now, now. I need that now. Yeah. That'd be helpful right now. I, not yet today. Right and there's confusion at times because we long for a breakthrough but doesn't come in the form or the fashion. And here's all I can say. Um, I don't want to live a life with a theology that says God can't. I want to live a life which says that, and a the theology says God can. God is able. And... There's things I've prayed for and waited on that haven't happened yet. And there's things that have happened that I know about. There's other things that have happened I will never know about, but actually happened. It's called faith. That's the life we live, y'all. We live in this place of waiting, even. Not just for a day on a Saturday, but we live in this place of waiting. But you know, in Luke 18, 31 through 34, I want to encourage us with this, because even though we may be waiting at times, oftentimes we just need to point back to what Jesus has already said, to the promise already given. In Luke chapter 18, literally, this is just days before all these events are happening, Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled he will be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. Now, you got to be thinking, wait, if I'm one of the 12, he just told me the playbook. He just told me what's going to happen. Mock him, spit on him, flog him, kill him. Oh my gosh, that just happened. He says, on the third day, He will rise again. Now, I don't know how many disciples took that to the bank, or how many were like, what did he just say? Or how many were like, I just remember him dying, part of that speech, but not the coming back. But he just told them. So here's encouragement for us. Sometimes we wait for something, but in that waiting, we get discouraged or get filled with doubt or disappointment. But my encouragement to you is actually go back to what he's already said. Go back to previous testimonies, how he has been faithful. Go back to his promises in your life. Go back to the scriptures and say, wait a second, he's proven himself for centuries already. God has nothing to prove on my watch. It's not like something new's going to happen where it's like, oh, now we see the nature of God because of this breakthrough in my life for all the world to see. He's already revealed himself. It's really unto us, are we going to be patient and faithful no matter how long it takes? And who knows, they just had to wait for a little bit for 36 hours, but still, they were tested in this place. Let's pick it up in Luke 24. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, I always wonder what that is, you know? I mean, dazzling. It's like, I don't know, but it's, it's going to look better than anything we've made. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day rise. Even the angel is referencing the conversation Jesus just had in Luke chapter 18, which means angels know what's going on. There's proof. They literally are fully aware of the conversation Jesus just had with his disciples about how he would die and then rise again. I think that's cool. I think what's interesting here is that you have these women who had been close to Jesus as part of this group of followers, and they seem to be the only ones going to check on the tomb. I don't know about you, but in my life up to this point, usually women are more committed in their faithfulness to see something through than men. We get a little more shifty. We kind of look for the, like, instant results. But I think there's something I think I want to encourage the women with, which is these women went to the tomb when these young disciples who'd been with Jesus all this time in this inner circle, they didn't. They were so caught up in their despair and disappointment. So here's what I want to say. For the women in the room, for the wives, for the grandmothers, for the single women, you've got to be a place of encouragement for the men. When they start to give up when they start to doubt when they start to quit there is a legacy from the gospel from easter weekend of some women who said no we still believe and even they went and told all the disciples and as far as we know peter some others say john too came it wasn't like everyone said wait really He's alive? Let's go. Load up the buggy. Let's roll to the tomb. Everyone's like, what are you talking about? You must be seeing things, Mary, Joanna. You guys are crazy. Just let us leave here and sulk and self-pity. But whether they dragged Peter or, or he just like, man, I already denied him on Friday. I can't do it again. I'm not going to doubt him again. Usually, it's those who have been through the low places are then ready to have that high faith. And Peter went really low Friday. The rooster crowed after his third time denying Christ, and yet he's there on the scene to see and marvelled what had happened. Just think—it's so interesting how the thousands of people that Jesus healed, he did—he did miracles for. People saw him. He broke bread for the five thousand. All these people—where were they? They weren't the tomb. I want us to be people to be willing to go to the tomb. That's what we want us to get out of that. Will we be willing to say, Wow, despair, discouragement, doubt, hopeless, this looks bleak. Oh my gosh, we should give up. Or are we gonna step in the fight and say, No, we're gonna go for it. We're gonna be people. And you know what? Even we showed, even they showed up to the tomb and it was still sealed, they're there waiting. They're ready. That's how I want to end my life. I want to end my life believing, not doubting. Not saying, well, yeah, I was right. You see, that never came to pass. How is that going to do you any good? I don't let my tombstone say he died believing, not died doubting. But doubt is so related to our experiences and our unmet expectations in life. The disciples weren't that much different, but they were looking for the victory in earthly form. They had not seen it in the kingdom reality. Because for us, this weekend is about us seeing that Jesus had to die in order for there to be life, which is so strange. No one thinks that. Like, in order to have victory, you actually have to surrender. That just is not how we think. That's not how we're trained. That's not how cultures run. Oh yeah, that's right. Surrendering will allow us to win. It'd be like on a baseball team. All right, guys, let's just lay down our bats and our balls and just, you guys got it, right? That's a forfeit. But it almost feels like that. Are we forfeiting? Are we, what are we doing? But the kingdom is so upside down that Jesus is trying to get through to us. It's not this earthly way. There's another way. There's another way. And for us as a people, we have to see the resurrection of Jesus Christ as that other way as a way that doesn't make sense. But when he came back to life, we're not going to get into it today, but he appeared himself for weeks and weeks to over 500 people who had met him, interacted with him. The disciples are blown away. Oh my gosh, this is really him. And then all of a sudden, the church was established and exploded. And because a few faithful people went to the tomb, because a few faithful people took it, and then those 500 who witnessed him, instead of like before running away and doubting, they all changed. Because I'm betting that some of those 500 that Jesus appeared to after he's resurrected, some of them had already seen a miracle. Some of them might have actually been healed of blindness, or deafness, or leprosy. Some of them might have been uh, uh, you know, living a destructive lifestyle or whatever, or heard him preach in the synagogue, or seen him at some point. But maybe they just questioned. They doubted. But then when he reappeared, it's like, he's for real. I'm all in. But for all of us, we have to have that. He's for real, all in, crossroads. If you haven't had that yet, that's what I want to pray for this morning. I'm going to invite the band out this morning. Come on. I want you guys to go and stand up with me. And what I... What I want to pray for this morning is that is that we would shift from being those that would doubt in the waiting, we would shift from being those that be discouraged if things aren't playing out the way we think, and then we would say, hold on a second, Jesus is the resurrection, the life. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. And so if you're at that crossroads this morning, and for some of us, you're you're at these crossroads saying, man, I just came here today, a friend invited me, I don't really do church, I don't really, I'm not into this kind of stuff, then maybe you came here because God has you at a crossroads. And he's saying, hey, I, I, I actually know you more than you know yourself. I made you, I designed you. And life's not been easy, but you're here now, you're at a crossroads, and you've got a choice to make. To believe in Jesus Christ, the innocent, the guiltless, the Holy One, the Son of God, the one who came and died. He bore your shame, your sin. That's right, all the evil stuff you've ever done, the things no one knows about in this room or in your family, all that wickedness, even anything you can conjure up, he can take it on the cross because he was innocent. And he says, I'm going to take it. I'm going to bear it. I'm not just not going to take it, though. In exchange, I'm going to give you life. I'm going to take away that yucky sin and that weight that just bears on you. And I'm going to refresh you with life. And I'm going to release you so you can live. If you're at that crossroads this morning, I want to pray for you. But there's another crossroads for some of us, which is, man, listen, I'm... I, I believe in Jesus. I'm, I'm good. But, you know, I've got my limits. I mean, I, you know, there's certain things Jesus has entered into my life in certain areas, and he knows about that, and we're cool. But these areas, we just kind of, I leave that, that's up to me. And you're at this crossroads of saying, you know, am I gonna play the game with Jesus or am I gonna be serious? Because G- G- Jesus didn't say, just give me half your heart. It just give me a part of your life it's all or nothing it's all or nothing and if you give me your all I promise you the reward is more than you could ever imagine but don't think earthly reward there's some of that but think eternal so some of us are at the crossroads of just salvation and believing that Jesus Christ can really forgive me and some of the crossroads are saying I want to be all in I want to quit messing around I don't want to be a doubter. I don't want to be someone that's kind of into Jesus. I want to be someone that sees him and says, okay, I'm in for life. For life. No matter what happens. No matter how long I wait. No matter how many things I pray for that don't come to pass. I'm in no matter what. There's many in history who have died in faith, but never got to see what they believe for. For 70 years. But they remain faithful to the end. So what I just pray this morning... For my friends here this morning, they're at this crossroads of faith that are wondering if you're real. Lord, I pray that if there's anything holding them back from completely surrendering their hearts over to you, you'd remove those voices right now. Remove the hindrances. And Jesus, I pray for them right now. If you are at that cross, I just want to pray for you this morning. You can simply repeat this prayer after me in your own heart, your own mind. Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you are perfect and holy. And I believe that you died on a cross 2,000 years ago so that you could forgive me of my sin, of my shame, of my rebellion. And I believe you can take that on you. And so Jesus, I confess I am a sinner and I need you to save me and forgive me. And Jesus, I believe that you didn't just die for me, but you came back to life for me. You said, I'm not just going to take your sins. I'm going to give you power. I'm going to give you life. I'm going to give you hope. It's one thing to have your sins taken away, but man, we need to be replenished and filled back up with hope and joy and life. So if you believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins and then he rose from the grave so that he could defeat death once and for all, defeat the sin in your life once and for all, and give you life and eternal hope and salvation, man, that's you. You just got to receive him in your heart. That's it. But it's got to be real. Can't be pretend. You could say it in your own way. But that's what Jesus has for you. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. It's him. He's the only way to know God. For everyone else in the room, if you're at this crossroads of your faith, maybe you're at this crossroads. deciding if you want to keep playing a game this Christian game or if you want to be all in I think those that play the game they won't make it when things get hard when the waiting comes when the war happens when the crisis emerges they tend to fade away but I'd rather you engage now and say Lord no matter what happens in my life I'm committed to you to the death I'm all in at you. I just want to pray for you right now. Lord, I pray for anyone in the room that's saying, I'm all in. I'm all in, Jesus. I don't want to play the game. You can have every part of my life. Reveal to me what it is. Spirit of God, come in. That's what he does, the Holy Spirit. He's not just our comforter. He's also our convictor, our guide. Helps us to confess things, to come clean. But if you're here and you're saying, Jesus, I want the resurrection and the life. I don't want to play the game. I want to be filled with life again. I want joy. I want hope. I want blessing. I want to be in love with you in love with the life that you've given me and grateful and thankful. And I wanna worship you with a genuine heart, not a, not a hidden heart, but an open one. Lord, I pray for everyone in the room, Holy Spirit, you know what to do. You know how to work in everyone's heart. I just pray for open hearts for all of us to be willing to be corrected, to be convicted and to say, Lord, I want what you want. (laughs) Help me to believe again. Put away my doubts. Fill me with faith. Fill me with hope again that you are who you say you are. I thank you for everyone in the room. We just seal it up in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's worship together.